You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. It is so good to just pack this place out and see everybody. So excited to be here. I hope this week um, you've spent time in whole, the, the holy of the week, the week believed to be Jesus' last week on earth. Um, if you've been a part of Hub City and the things we've done here, we've done something every night uh, just to kind of steep ourselves um, in the gravity and the magnitude of the week leading up to the crucifixion, leading up to today, um, which is, is just so exciting. Um, and I hope if you were partaked in some of the, the Hub City stuff that it was just, it was good and it just gave us a posture of worship um, and a posture of really um, getting to this moment of just what an incredible morning. And there's no way to read that story and to really just get after just looking into that tomb fully, 100% expecting a dead body, fully expecting Jesus' body to still be there and to look and to see not only nothing, but the, the cloth laid there, the angels there, what an incredible paradigm shift in what that could mean. Um, there was this moment for Mary in that story as she came to pay respects and honor and no doubt some more tears at the tomb of Jesus. And immediately when she saw the body was gone, what did she say? They took the body. And I wonder who's they? Like the language there is not, it's not like a positive tone. You know, she's not thinking, oh, they took the body, like a, like a good thing, you know, like this was normal, that it would be some heavenly beings or something extraordinary, but more of a negative tone, right? It must have been grave robbers. They must have been those, the, the Jewish leaders who were instigated in his death, or even more likely it was the Romans. They weren't done with his body yet to further hurt it. Peter comes running with John as they enter the tomb and they see the clothes but no body. And the sight of this caused the other disciple, which we believe to be John, to believe. Which should, if you've been in the Gospel of John, should remind us earlier in the Gospel where Jesus said in chapter 2, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And then a few verses later, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. And people were confused. What do you mean? The temple. What do you mean you're going to raise it back up? And if, one verse later, John writes, When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This was the moment that they believed. This was the moment that they remembered and said he said he was going to do this. Without the resurrection, Jesus lived a great life and died a martyr's death, but the resurrection demands the actual belief that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ. Even Mary, who watched Jesus die on the cross and then to find his body gone, was so grief-stricken that she speaks to angels, apparently quite casually, and then doesn't even recognize Jesus, thinks, he, thinks he's the gardener, until he speaks to her and only the voice that she knows and then she believes and she announces to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I think for many of us today and many people, the resurrection is an awesome story and a great narrative and something wonderful that Jesus did, much like his other miracles. 
Many of us have heard of Jesus' resurrection, and that's great. And we might even get in theory that then if we are in Christ, then we also have a resurrection that happened to us and is happening, but it's not full yet, and it can get confusing. So the question every Easter is a good one to ask. What does Jesus' resurrection from death to life so long ago mean to our lives today? And there's many ways that very smart people can get after this, much smarter than me, (laughs) could get after that question um, and lead us. But there is a story that came to my mind that I think could help unlock some of it for us today. And it's actually found in the Old Testament. If you're following along in your scriptures, you can go to the, the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37. I think there's a powerful story today that can help unlock the resurrection and what that looks like in our lives today. So quick background real fast. Um, Israel has been captured by big bad Babylon and been exiled to Babylon. Uh, Ezekiel is one of these captives. Uh, He's an exile from his homeland living under the governance and rule of something he did not believe in. But God used Ezekiel to bring hope to the people. God kept giving Ezekiel these visions, visions of judgment upon the nations that have uprooted them and visions of Israel's restoration. And however bleak things looked, God always gave hope to his people. But there's one vision that is striking and quite unforgettable. We're going to look at it today. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel records this. The hand of the Lord was upon me, And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. So Ezekiel is led by the Lord to this valley. And it's valley of death. This valley is filled with bones. Now, a few things real quick in, in, this, in this context. For Ezekiel to get this vision, he knew this wasn't like a burial site or a memorial site, right? If it was a burial site, there would have been some sort of stacking or piling, right? And if they were supposed to be honored at all, the bodies would have been buried. But the bodies were just spread out, uncovered. This is a massacre. This was a great battle that was completely lost and bodies desecrated and left. In fact, the bones, as it says, were very dry, which in that language is dead as dead can get. Bone carries marrow and moisture in it for a long time, but to be exposed to the elements and left out there means they've been dead for a long time. Verse 3, he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. I love how it's the Lord who asks Ezekiel this question, a little bit rhetorically, right? Like, what possible hope for this scene? Have you seen these bones, right? These are dead bones. There's nothing that can be done, right? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like a situation in your life that is so utterly hopeless? Someone you know or love that seems lost beyond saving, There's just no way. Ezekiel is looking at an obvious answer to an impossible question, but how does he answer? Oh, Lord God, only you know. Verse 4, Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. 
I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Years ago, I got to go to uh, OMSI up in, up in Portland. If you've never been there, it's pretty incredible. And it was uh, during the Body Worlds exhibit. Has anyone ever seen that? It's wild. It is, it is crazy. Uh, but, but essentially, it's, it's donated bodies of people that have deceased for science that they kind of curated in the stages of what it means to be human. So there's just straight skeletons. There's ones where they have just the veins, which is, was just wild to see. Some just muscle, just the sinews. All this to say, I've seen a body with just veins and sinews and stuff like that, and it is insane. It is crazy. And to just think about it, and, I, and I've seen like Marvel movies, like I get some like fantastical things that I can kind of visualize, whatever. But imagine Ezekiel in this vision is going to see skeletons and then from where, who knows, sinews and muscle and, and vein, like just imagine how crazy that scene would have been. And to not only make them look like living things again, but the Lord would breathe in them and they would actually live again. So Ezekiel, he trusts God and he goes for it. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded and I prophesied as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Like just the scene, bones connecting to bones, bodies being re-knit back together, flesh covering once again, real people again, but there was still something missing. There was no breath in them. Like God did the impossible of bringing brokenness back together, but it wasn't yet fully restored. Even something that looks alive could be breathless. It's the life-giving breath of God that was this final touch. In verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now they were bodies that lived. What was once decimated and destroyed was now fully restored to new life. And Ezekiel and all his astonishment had, been, had to be wondering, like, okay, what, what does this mean? What was this for? In verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They thought all was lost, that they've been cut off from God and his promises. Oh, sorry. Uh, the house of, I totally skipped. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off. That's what they believed. That's what they truly believed, but they weren't, were they? Yes, they were in a land not their own. Yes, they had no possessions of their own. Yes, they were being forced to live in a way they didn't want to. Everything about their life circumstantially seemed not good. But did God actually abandon them? Have you ever felt something to be true even when it technically wasn't? Like ever had a moment where you've built something up in your head, either positive or negative, when it turns out to be quite differently in the end? 
And I don't blame the Israelite people. Everything they know was taken from them. I think about that. Everything they know was taken from them. What would you do if everything you had was taken from you? This is a very real reality for many people in the world. Your home, your people, your family, your health, your safety. What would cause you to despair if it was taken away? And don't get me wrong, no shame in feeling any of those things because those things are real to us, right? Those are very real emotions and realities for us as humans to feel. Despair is a real thing and no amount of, well, you shouldn't have made that an idol in your life or whatever is going to help anything. But God is very real and ever-present, all-powerful. The God who is love is not circumstantial or wrapped up in any earthly possession or status. This vision for Ezekiel is not to stop being human. The vision is one of as long as there is God, there is hope, even in impossible situations, even in hopeless situations. And we know God is before all things and above all things. The Lord continues, not only giving back a life, but a life with a purpose. Verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. The bones were to show Ezekiel where Israel was at and what God will make Israel to be. And if God could do this to dry bones, then what could he do with a people that turn back to him wholly and faithfully? But the vision doesn't just end there. This isn't just about individual salvation, right? The Lord then, following the story, has Ezekiel take two sticks, one representing the northern kingdom of Israel and one representing the southern kingdom of Israel, joining them as one. Before they were in exile, they were completely divided. They were not a unified nation. Lord commands Ezekiel to take both sticks, this is 37, 17, and join them one to another into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. And this is the meaning of the example in verse 21. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone and will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land and on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all. And they shall be no longer two nations, no longer divided into two kingdoms. Beautiful vision, beautiful visual. God doesn't just give life to give life. He gave life to restore and unite all under him. A unified nation under one Lord with his spirit. Like this passage is not for people to go home and feel good about their spirituality. But this was a call for God's people to be restored and unified as one. And God's plan concludes with this at the end of Ezekiel 37. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now listen, you might be sitting there and think, well, that's a cool vision that, again, belongs in like a Marvel movie or something. Uh, but what does that have to do with me. See, we can make for ourselves what looks like a life, right? 
an Instagram-worthy life, if you still do that. A life that looks like it's functioning and thriving, but scripturally, if it does not have the breath of God filling it, it is lifeless. It is still a dry skeleton in the valley of death, very dry. Resurrection is all about the breath of life. The question our culture tries to answer is, could we possibly ascend to this life everlasting? How much good could we do to inherit eternal life? But God gives this vision of lifeless bones and are unable to do anything to earn it. And then says that's just like the entire nation of Israel, unable to save themselves. Now, fast forward in our scriptures to Jesus Christ, the one who came as a miracle baby, lived a sinless life, taught the people of God how to turn their hearts back to God in repentance and faith. He was betrayed, captured, crucified, and buried as a dead man. The Israelite people knew about resurrection. This was not foreign to them from Ezekiel and from others that God spoke through. But their hopes had just been dashed upon a cross. The man they had called Lord and Son of God was killed in front of their eyes. The same crying out of their heart as the people in Ezekiel's vision. Our hopes are lost. We are once again been cut off. See, they saw the end of what they thought was a story. When they heard it is finished, they thought, well, this is the conclusion. But this is what makes Easter morning so different. It is finished was not about just about something ending. It was about a new beginning, right? The resurrection, it wasn't just hopes that were made new. It wasn't just dreams that were reestablished. It wasn't a feeling of happiness again where there was only gloom and depression. It was a person who was restored back to life, the person of Jesus Christ, restored as Lord of all, the first fruits of what was to come for all who would follow in his way, for all who would confess Jesus as Lord and see him as the way, the truth, and the life. Now back to John's gospel. Jesus appears to the rest of the disciples. The remaining disciples of Jesus were afraid of what those who killed Jesus might do to his followers, so they locked themselves up in a room. This is John 20, 19. And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. We know the historic coming of the Holy Spirit is at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, but for those who, for those who believe, but here in John, John records such an intimate moment with Jesus and his followers that echo the vision of Ezekiel 37. Jesus' closest followers were afraid. See, they hadn't just lost everything after Jesus died. They had already lost everything for Christ. They had already counted it all as lost when he said, come and follow me. He was, he was all they had left. And he was their God and he had died. 
But Jesus, apparently defying earthly physics, after being disfigured, was recognizable and familiar. What was once dead was now alive right in front of them. And what message did he bring? Peace. I am sending you like I was sent, not to judge, but to proclaim the truth of my life. Those who accept my words are forgiven, and those who reject have chosen their path. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was not just an event that these, these people celebrated. It's a proclamation of true victory over sin and death. That proclamation is the gospel. We've talked, we talk about the gospel all the time here. Gospel literally means good news, but it's not just translated good news, the same as saying like, everything is free at Target today, you know? <laughs> or Matt's sermon's only 25 minutes, right? Or this picture of a cow. So with this caption, newborn calf with smiley face markings is named Happy and will graze on a farm for the rest of his life. I love that story. That's a great story, and it makes me feel things. But they aren't Gospels, right? They aren't Gospels. Gospels, in the biblical definition, is a proclamation of victory, of triumph, as Jesse walked us through last week. The Gospel of Easter morning is that what once was utterly dead is now made fully alive. What once was utterly dead is now made fully alive. And Jesus, Jesus is the victorious king of that gospel, of life over death itself, because his resurrection showed he had victory of sin in his life and victory over death in his afterlife. So he is king over and above all. And because of his victory, he offers the breath of life to all who believe in their hearts and confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord. And here's the problem. Here's the deception of sin and the plague of humankind. That we hear that and we like that, but the deception is that we could still have the good life without him, without full surrender to him. I uh, recently got together with a few friends uh, from, a, uh, from a few years ago, and uh, my, my buddy, he, um, he always talking about how he always struggled to have energy, always had this brain fog, was just totally lethargic, like it was really hard, and there's a lot of things that could go on with all that, um, and this is, is, yeah, he got tested and found out he had sleep apnea, so he got hooked up with a CPAP machine um, that literally breathes oxygen into his face, and he said... I am a different person. Like no more brain fog, sleeping like a baby, a Darth Vader sounding baby, but a baby nonetheless. And his words, we were sitting and having dinner with him, and he's like, I feel like a different person, and I had no idea there could be a different way to live. That was just about sleep. But I was thinking, man, so many of us have that spiritually, right? We're in this faith fog, struggling through life. We have no idea that how we're living could actually be far from the life that God wants to give us. We've normalized the spiritual fog of apathy. And if this is all it is to kind of follow God, then maybe I'm better at gambling my life to the highs and lows of self-discovery. And the world celebrates that. But there is a better way. Simply put, the breath of life is the way of Jesus. Jesus is the author of life with the power to bring dead 
things to life. John 1 tells us the word, the power of God that brought all living things to life was made flesh. John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus as the eternal fulfillment of Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel was given a vision of dry bones that God brought to life. How much more his own son, full of life and deity, who was crucified on the cross as dead as a human can get, but raised to new life everlasting, to then bring with him all who would follow in his way. Ezekiel didn't know Jesus of Nazareth, but he would know what the scene of Jesus' resurrection meant. What God did to those dry bones, what God did in Jesus to unite the nation of believers together under one Lord, to present a nation of life-giving nature to a dried-up world, to establish his global church, to bring breath out of his life-giving love. We as a people, we don't have to try harder to give ourselves life. We have to keep surrendering to our life-giving God. And here's the key to tie it all together. We have to realize that without Christ, we too are as dead and dry as those bones in that dark valley. We can do nothing that would make our souls still alive apart from Christ. The world tells us we can. Do more. Make yourself something. Be your best self. But to what end? If we could save ourselves, why would Jesus rise again? And I pray this morning that we can hear the Lord's voice and feel his breath as he asks us what he asked Ezekiel all those years ago when he looks at us, caught in our trespasses, red-handed as sinners, as dry as bones can get. What does he say? Son of man, can these bones live? And what if instead of despair, our answer in confession and surrender was, O Lord God, you know. And the gift he gives us is salvation, peace, and a life with a purpose. What did he say to his followers? I am sending you as I was sent to proclaim the truth that what was dead is now alive. Just like Ezekiel proclaimed life over those dead bones, we get to proclaim Christ alive into our lives and the lives of others. We get to proclaim forgiveness of sins, We get to proclaim the great healer in Jesus. We get to proclaim the great counselor that is ever present in the Holy Spirit. We get to witness like Mary proclaimed, I have seen the Lord. Where you and I see dead, dried up hopes and no life in sight. Where you and I feel like everything around us is a hopeless wasteland. When we feel like we've surrendered but we're unwilling to go to the next unearth level of surrender. Here's the question this morning. Go back to the story. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the vision of the dry bones that God did what he said he would do in Jesus? See, this is not just a story about life after death. The proclamation of seeing the empty tomb is the gospel message now. What was utterly dead is now fully alive. And that life that defies sin and death is found in Christ 
alone. Can I get an amen? amen? I want to read over us as we move to response um, this beautiful book compilation called The Valley of Vision um, that has a compilation of Puritan prayers. I read the Puritan prayer of resurrection. I want to read it over us as we move to response. O God of my exodus, great was the joy of Israel's sons when Egypt died upon the shore. Far greater the joy when the Redeemer's foe lay crushed in the, desert, in the dust. Jesus strides forth as the victor, conqueror of death, hell, and all opposing might. He bursts the bands of death, tramples the power of darkness down, and lives forever. He, my gracious surety, apprehended for payment of my debt, comes forth from the prison house of the grave free and triumphant over sin, Satan, and death. Show me herein the proof that his vicarious offering is accepted, that the claims of justice are satisfied, that the devil's scepter is shivered, that his wrongful throne is leveled. Give me the assurance that in Christ I died, in him I rose, in his life I live, in his victory I triumph, in his ascension I shall be glorified. Adorable Redeemer, thou who was lifted up upon a cross, art descended to highest heaven. Thou who as man of sorrows was crowned with thorns, art now as Lord of life wreathed with glory. Once no shame more deep than thine, no agony more bitter, no death more cruel, now, no exaltation more high, no life more glorious, no advocate more effective. Thou art in the triumph car leading captive thine enemies behind thee. What more could be done that thou hast done? Thy death is my life, thy resurrection is my peace, thy ascension my hope, thy prayers my comfort.